Section four of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of St. Matthew by J. C. Ryle. Chapter two, verses thirteen to twenty three. The flight into Egypt and the subsequent abode at Nazareth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Matthew chapter two, verses thirteen to twenty three. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt. And he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation, and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose, and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea, in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Observe in this passage how true it is that the rulers of the world are seldom friendly to the cause of God. The Lord Jesus comes down from heaven to save sinners, and at once we are told that Herod the king seeks to destroy him. Greatness and riches are perilous possession for the soul. They know not what they seek who seek to have them. They lead men into many temptations. They are likely to fill the heart with pride and chain the affection down to things below. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. How hardly shall a rich man enter the kingdom of God! Do you envy the rich and great? Does your heart say, Oh, that I had their place and rank and substance? Beware of giving way to the feeling. The very wealth which you admire may be gradually sinking its possessor down into hell. A little more money might be your ruin. Like Herod you might run into every excess of weakness and cruelty. Take heed and beware of covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Do you think that Christ's cause depends on the power and patronage of princes? You are mistaken. They have seldom done much for the advancement of true religion. They have far more frequently been the enemies of the truth. Put not your trust in princes. Those who are like Herod are many. Those who are like Josiah and Edward the Sixth of England are few. Observe how the Lord Jesus was a man of sorrows, even from his infancy. 
trouble awaits him as soon as he enters into the world. His life is in danger from Herod's hatred. His mother and Joseph are obliged to take him away by night and flee into Egypt. It was only a type and a figure of all his experience upon earth. The waves of humiliation began to beat over him, even when he was a sucking child. The Lord Jesus is just the Savior that the suffering and sorrowful need. He knows well what we mean when we tell him in prayer of our troubles. He can sympathize with us when we call to him under cruel persecution. Let us keep nothing back from him. Let us make him our bosom friend. Let us pour out our hearts before him. He has had great experience of affliction. Observe how death can remove the kings of this world like other men. The rulers of millions have no power to retain life when the hour of their departure comes. The murderer of helpless infants must himself die. Joseph and Mary hear the tidings that Herod is dead, and at once they return in safety to their own land. True Christians should never be greatly moved by the persecution of man. Their enemies may be strong, and they may be weak, but still they ought not to be afraid. They should remember that the triumphing of the wicked is but short. What has become of the Pharaohs, and Neros, and Diocletians, who at one time fiercely persecuted the people of God? Where is the enmity of Charles the Ninth of France, and Bloody Mary of England? They did their utmost to cast the truth down to the ground, but the truth rose again from the earth, and still lives, and they are dead and moldering in the grave. Let not the heart of any believer fail. Death is a mighty leveller, and can take any mountain out of the way of Christ's church. The Lord liveth for ever. His enemies are only men. The truth shall always prevail. Observe, in the last place, what a lesson of humility is taught us by the dwelling place of the Son of God when he was on earth. He dwelt with his mother and Joseph in a city called Nazareth. Nazareth was a small town in Galilee. It was an obscure, retired place, not so much as once mentioned in the Old Testament. Hebron and Shiloh and Gibeon and Bethel were far more important places. But the Lord Jesus passed by them all and chose Nazareth, this was humility. In Nazareth the Lord lived thirty years. It was there he grew up from infancy to childhood, and from childhood to boyhood, and from boyhood to youth, and from youth to man's estate. We know little of the manner in which those thirty years were spent. That he was subject to Mary and Joseph, we are expressly told. That he worked in the carpenter shop with Joseph is highly probable. We only know that almost five-sixths of the time that the Saviour of the world was on earth was passed among the poor of this world, and passed in complete retirement. Truly, this was humility. Let us learn wisdom from our Saviour's example. We are far too ready to seek great things in this world. Let us seek them not. To have a place, and a title, and a position in society, is not nearly so important as people think. It is a great sin to be covetous, and worldly, and proud, and carnal-minded. But it is no sin to be poor. It matters not so much where we live, as what we are in the sight of God. Where are we going when we die? Shall we live for ever in heaven? These are the main things to which we should attend. Above all, let us daily strive to copy our Saviour's humility. 
Pride is the oldest and commonest of sins. Humility is the rarest and most beautiful of graces. For humility, let us labor. For humility, let us pray. Our knowledge may be scanty, our faith may be weak, our strength may be small. But if we are disciples of him who dwelleth at Nazareth, let us at any rate be humble. End of section 4